Hey, all you nature nerds. This is You're Gonna Die Out There. Welcome back to You're Gonna Die Out There. I'm Jen. I'm looking at Megan. We're both here to share some interesting and possibly strange and unusual tales of humans in nature. Cautionary tales, as we say. We're back. We have some insight on one of our older episodes yes. that we forgot to share. And what episode was that? It was the homemade enema? The Trimorand episode that the you Trimorand, did in yeah. New Zealand. We have a listener in New Zealand who's also a follower on Instagram. And she had sent us some information that we completely forgot to share on the episode after that one. But we're going to throw it in right now. Yeah. Because we remember eventually. That's all you need to know. Exactly. So this comes from doda d-o-d-a dot vision and this is back june 27th jen she wrote to oh us God, and we were like sorry. we're definitely gonna share this um and she said hello i just wanted to say i love the new zealand story and i laugh so hard at the enema jokes you two are hilarious thank you very much as a canadian living in auckland for the past four years i can confirm the following things for you two number one mullets are still in here why i don't know but i know a few guys in their late 20s and 30s purposefully growing them it's very confusing uh yes the ocean water is cold here in the winter around May through October. The albatross colony in Dunedin is lovely to visit and they are amazing birds. I love them. You can also see sea lions there. We're so going there. have to go. Yes. A batch, she said, because you talked about it and we were like a bitch or a bitch, the New Zealand word for cottage, but like you said, a seaside summer home. A bitch. A batch. B-A-T-C-H. And then she also later shared with us or earlier, maybe it was earlier, she shared a lot of cool stuff about that lobster diver that survived the way of getting briefly trapped inside a whale. Yeah, he was swallowed by a whale. We are going to talk about that. We have to do a whole episode on what people getting like geppettoed. That would be cool. But that one was so recent. I I did see it in the news a lot, but it seemed like a lot of other people were talking about it. So I was like, we'll talk about that at some point. Thank you so much, Shilpa, for your sharing with us and enjoying our enema jokes. Yeah, seriously. We also laugh at our own jokes sometimes. Megan cut that kind of silent laughter that just goes <laughs> on and on. For like 10 minutes. Yeah. Where we're just like crying. We're laughing so hard. Still, yeah. And I can't even see clearly enough to stop the recording <laughs> because we're, that's the level of crying, cry laughing that we're at. It was fun. That was a fun so, episode. It was a fun episode. So Jen. Yes. Do you have some science news for I us? I do. Let me take a sip of this delicious tea you brought. Hold on. In your chicken mug. You guys, I went to the store and I bought us matching mugs. Mine has cats. I mean, matching style mugs. Mm-hmm. Mine has cats and Jen's has chickens. That's how we roll here at You're Gonna Die Out There. I'd like to start off before I go into my science news, mm-hmm. just to, you know, let everybody know that all of our kids are here. There's a lot of dogs, a lot of kids. The pizza guy just came. It's a disclaimer in case you hear a lot of noise in the background. I have some science news, mm-hmm. and this is something that we've been seeing a lot of, but I don't know why we haven't talked about it yet. Oh, okay. And I was like, dang, why haven't we talked about this? It's yeah. been around for a while. Forever. The mice plague in Australia, in Eastern Australia. There's we, a plague of mice? You haven't heard about the plague? Oh, shit. Megan. What? 
Megan, where have you been? How, how do I not know about this? What kind of a nature nerd are you? Like, And let me tell you about it. There's a bunch of articles about it, but I tried mm-hmm. to look for one that was pretty recent, so it had the most recent information because mm-hmm. there's been articles for since Christmas. What? I mean, I do remember the thing in Chicago about how they released a bunch of uh, cats from uh, shelters to kill all the mice. But and rats is, in Chicago, but... But this is in Australia. I'm so sorry, Australia. Australia, don't worry. I got you. <laughs> Let's talk. And I also want to put this out because we have some Australian listeners. Mm-hmm. Let us know if it's affecting you if you're in Eastern Australia. I guess these plagues pop up occasionally in different parts of Australia. Another thing that makes you guys badass, this is coming from thescience.com. So, and this is from July 12th, not too too long ago. So they've had this major explosion of the house mouse which is Moose Musculus. They came to Australia with the British colonizers. Colonizers! <laughs> I feel like every time we talk about colonizers, you need to do that. <laughs> um, and that was in the late 1700s. They quickly took over in the ecosystem and out competed a lot of the native species. Right now, Eastern Australia is, I guess they're getting kind of towards the end of one of the worst mouse plagues in memory. And they say that there's been reports of mice biting people in hospital beds. A whole prison had to be relocated because the mice chewed through the facility's electrical infrastructure. What? And it like opened up all the gates to the cells. And everybody's like, like, The mice are like, oh, you're welcome. (laughs) Be free. (laughs) Um, So they also have been like running around in classrooms. Can you imagine in your class? You're just sitting in class and then just Just mice. a bunch of people freaking out. I guess that's when you'd find out who was really afraid of tiny things. It'd be like instead of a snow day. It's like a mice day? Yeah, like a mouse day. I just keep thinking about all the poops, little tiny mice poops everywhere. Well, yeah, everywhere. so that's what happened to this couple. They're farmers and they live in New South Wales, Australia, northern New South Wales, Australia. And they went back to their farm. They have a home. It's northwest of Sydney. And I guess the they'd been gone for a little while. The mice went through their entire house, ate through insulation, their food, their bedding. <sighs> And there was pee and poo everywhere. And, you know, there's like diseases or, oh, yeah. you know, or viruses. Is it a virus or a sickness? I mean, bubonic plague. That's the you first can thing get. You no, but what's the one from, it's like Hanta or... Oh, Hantavirus. Hantavirus. Is yeah. that the one where you can get it from mouse droppings? Like being in an area without any yeah. ventilation. Um, so they're farmers and they have agriculture equipment. They ate through all the wires and destroyed their <gasps> tractors, two Dude. of their tractors, and also ruined their hay bales. So they were just like, good God. I mean, terrible, right? What's happening? happening is it's causing major damage to crops and it's going to be costing Australia about a billion dollars. Dang. Yes. So I guess this is something that has been going back for the last over 100 years. You'll see one of these like mice plagues pop up every five years or so in like different areas. But for one area, it'll come up every like seven to 10 years. They think what happened is they had a bad drought for a while. And then in uh, 2019 and 2020, they had those crazy, terrible fires. fires. Uh And then that was followed by a lot of rain. Then there was like an abundance of food. And based on like years of studying this and going back, that they kind of see that when they have these rainy seasons and then they have more food, that that's when they're going to see an increase, like explosions in these Mm. mice. But they say that mice are opportunistic feeders. We know that they eat almost anything, but apparently cereal crops provide the most tempting food for them. 
And I'm like, cereal crops? Just Fruit Loops? Just Lucky Charms? I'm opportunistic. I'll take some Lucky Charms. So they use these rainfalls to as predictors for mouse numbers. Usually when a, when they get these mice plagues, they last about a year. Mm-hmm. They follow it by doing like population studies based on earlier studies and then at the time. So they monitor by trapping. They also examine like females um, and they look at scars from previous pregnancies. Anyway, it's just crazy. So they're doing all these studies to see how often they're coming. But wait what? a minute. Female scars from... They examine um, females from scars from previous pregnancies as an indication of their fecundity. Oh, so like when they have their little baby mice, they get, they like rip open a little or something? Like what's up? They're getting, they're getting like little mice episiotomies. I didn't really question it. <laughs> Just, they have like tiny C-sections. They have little mice doctors. Do you think they would have scars from being like stretched out? And then getting smaller again, like stretch mark. Yeah. Oh, yeah, maybe. Now I really need to know, are these mice just tiny episiotomies? I think that's what they... (laughs) That would be so awful. God. Anyway, so they also put out like chewing card, you know, cards that they chew on and they collect it to see how many are in a location. They said that the number skyrocketed through the summer and caused such extensive damage to crops that the state government committed $150 million to helping farmers recover from that. Even more so is like, how do they treat it? You know, when they have these big mice explosions that all the birds of prey will come down and eat them and the birds really do well. So here's the thing. If you're going to treat them with rat poison, and then you're poisoning the birds. Right. So they have had to be really careful with what they can use. There's been some other stuff. Um, it's a zinc phosphide and it coats grains and they leave it out for the mice and it turns into a gas in their stomach and it causes they die, but they have to eat enough of it and they have to eat that specific thing. Mm. But it doesn't injure birds. They say, but the mice will go eat other stuff. So it doesn't always work right. so well. But they're trying to work with what they did with mosquitoes. It looks like CRISPR Cas9. It's like C R I S P R. Basically, a genetic. They're targeting males to only produce Y chromosomes. Oh, okay. So then you would only produce males. Dudes. Yeah. yeah. They said they've done some research with um, mosquitoes, and they say after 10 generations. Which I guess that happens pretty quickly. With mice. Right. Yeah. For other things, it would be like, geez, that's a, that's that's a, a ways out. Yeah, wait for that. <laughs> Very interesting. But they said historically, these numbers, they crash around May to June, and they're mm. like, okay, well, it's July. They're starting to see it abate a little. It's starting to go down. So hopefully the mice will get out. It's crazy. Like ponds with bloated mice that's disgusting amounts of mice that sounds awful anybody in australia let us know that was my science news i'm glad that actually you didn't know about it sort of disappointed but sort of happy because i I like it when i can tell you stuff that you don't know already which makes me think that other people don't know yeah for sure i you know i spend too much time watching netflix and not enough time you know reading the news we should also say before we forget for the next 25 episodes that you are putting little clips at the end of each episode okay so megan started doing this and she'd be like did you listen i put something at the end what does your brother call it my brother calls it outtake tags yes which i don't know if that's like a technical term he he did some stuff in sound engineering or whatever he knows some shit but i yeah so i totally stole this idea from from that aged well and then another podcast I was listening mm-hmm. to and they did these little outtakes and I was like oh shit we have so I have a collection that I've been like what am I going to do with these are we just going to put them all together like what should we do they're so funny because oh, it's really short so you don't have yeah. to listen to us gab on like we do but yeah. it's just short and 
And I put them right after the end music. So. so stick around. And then there's a little, just a bonus nugget right there at the end waiting for you. A little nuggy. A little golden nuggy of awesomeness. Bloop. Okay, Megan, I'm so excited. On? What's happening? Oh, I don't for know today's what episode. you're talking about. I have no idea what you're talking about. So I was originally, I was going to talk about this story about African lions, but because we just did the mountain lion episode, I was oh. like, I'm going to skip that and I'm going to do this other one that I found. I think I do this all the time, uh, every episode or whatever, uh, to tell you where all the places are that I got stuff. You do that and I never do that. I mean, we always post it anyway, but I'm always like, Jen, these are the places I got the stuff. I just forget. Um, So I went to a few different places, history.com. Uh, obviously Wikipedia, there's a pretty good YouTube video uh, where someone also recounts this story, but it's like very history class presentation. Mm. Kind of fun. Dailymotion.com, ADN.com, bearconservation.org. A bear conservation. <laughs> oh, we're, we're getting a hint, folks. And the vintage news. So I'm going to start it out with uh, an article that I read entitled Five of History's Deadliest Bear Attacks, Hungry Bears, Whether Grizzly, Black, Brown, or Polar can be shockingly brutal. Written by Dave Roos and published May 18th of this year. And we've already talked about grizzlies. And we've talked about polar bears. These are in a different order than what they are on the website because the story I'm going to talk about is the last one in this list. But on the website, I think it's like number two. So I put it at the end. So the first story that they talk about in this little article, it's really short. Um, It's called The Night of the Grizzlies, Summer of 1967. It was nighttime in Montana's Glacier National Park. And there are two women. They're both 19 years old, Julie Helgeson and Michelle Coons. And they are are both employees at the Glacier National Park's lodges. Oh, Glacier National Park. Yeah, didn't Victoria Nitz just put out a story that that's where they are right now and they've seen like a ton of bears? She hikes there. So I actually am listening to a book about all the deaths in Glacier National Park because I want to do an episode just for Victoria. Sorry, Glacier National Park. Glacier National Park. They are both employed at the lodges. They're both going to be going on separate overnight backpacking trips with different friends on August 12th. So they must have had like a day off or something like a weekend or whatever. And then unknown to them, grizzlies had been spotted near the lodges and the campsites uh, in the parks for weeks. I'm like, how, how is that unknown to them? They work in the lodges. Wouldn't people be talking about it? But I guess there were a bunch of sightings of grizzlies and they were attracted to the food that was left behind by campers. And then there were actually people who were feeding them to get photo ops. Right? Kind of like that movie with John Candy, The Great Outdoors. So at the time, because it's in the 60s, there's no bear-proof garbage cans. There are very minimal safety precautions in national parks to alert visitors to bear presence. And Julie and her friend, they actually went to a campsite and they were sleeping outside outside under the stars, like beautiful night, whatever. And they're woken in the pre-dawn hours by a large grizzly sniffing at their sleeping bags. Oh my God. And they try to play bit dead. They're like, hey, we're just, we're dead. But the grizzly was like, like, no, you're not. Sadly sunk his teeth and claws <laughs> into both of them and ended up dragging Julie away. She's screaming for help. Later, she was found by a search party. She was badly wounded and she passed away before the helicopter could come and rescue her. Yeah. Michelle and her party of friends, they were cooking dinner and a grizzly came and raided their camp and they like kind of peaced out. They were like, all right, whatever. Yeah. They figured the grizzly went on because it ate their food um, and they moved to a beach site further down to spend the night and they were thinking it's all good. The bear's not going to come back. But the bear came back at 4.30 a.m. and Michelle's friends were able to clamber up 
trees that were nearby, but she was brutally mauled. Um, the bear actually bit off her arm. Oh, my God. And she died before help arrived. So I think she bled out. Horrific. Oh, my um, God. That is so horrific. Yeah. Jack Olson wrote a book in 1969 about this encounter called Night of the Grizzlies. His book, along with their story from these two girls, that led to widespread policy changes across the U.S. national parks in terms of like preventing the feeding of animals, removing trash, closing campsites and trails where bear activity was spotted. That kind of stuff. I feel like this is like the 60s is where people started kind of like, oh, we should change policies. Right. In general, like 60s, 70s, yeah. like people were kind of getting on board with stuff. It's like the story about the girl that was on that float that was white. Yeah. The family, she was like the one survivor from that guy who killed her whole family. Terry Joe, Tara yeah. Fassbender. I think you had mentioned in another episode about how people were like going outside more for recreation. Yes. So these kinds of things would kind of come up as like, oh, we should make these changes because people are like interacting with nature more. And also urban sprawl. Tale number two on this list of five most crazy bear attacks is Grizzly Man. I'm not going to go over it. That's the story of Timothy Treadwell. We covered it in a full on episode. Go and listen to that episode to learn more about that story if you've never heard of it. Or go watch Grizzly Man. So that was episode 13, Bandanas and Old Greg. The third story, when I was reading it, I was like, this sounds like the one that you shared, but I'm gonna share it anyway, in case. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Jen probably shared this already. I'm just I couldn't remember. Uh, this is polar bear attacks British teenagers in Norway. This is in North Spitsbergen, Norway in 2011. A British teenager Horatio Chapel is 17 was attacked and killed near the Vaughn Postbreen Glacier. Yeah, that's the one I brought up. I think um, I gave it from the perspective of one of the kids who was bit on but his survived. head. Yeah, because the, right. I mean, it was like a full-on raid of the camp. Yeah. And he was sleeping next to that kid. Yes. And that's when he was biting their heads. Yes, yes. Yeah. Okay, so that's exactly what it was, is they there were 80 kids in this group. They were on a month-long Arctic adventure in Norway with the British Schools Exploring Society. And they were hoping to see a polar bear. And they had a bunch of flares, pen flares. They rigged their campsites with trip wires. And one of the adults had a rifle. In actuality, I guess there weren't enough pen flares to give to everybody in their group. And then some of the tripwires that they had weren't working properly. Right. So some issues. And then I guess also none of the adult leaders knew how to use the rifle. The polar bear ripped into Horatio's tent and bit the kid that you talked about. Yes. And then drug Horatio off after he, you know, mauled Horatio. And and then they ended up killing the polar bear. I think it was a female polar bear, actually. Yeah, I don't remember. But that was crazy. I mean... But what a cool trip. It sounded like it if was, that didn't yeah. happen. If that didn't happen, that would have yeah. been a really neat trip as yeah. like a 17-year-old. Are you kidding me? That's super oh, cool. Oh, yeah. So. I mean, it's just terrible. But um, Number four is a black bear rampage through a popular hot spring. So this is the Liard River Hot Springs in Provincial Park in British Columbia, Canada. August 14th, 1997, Patty McConnell took her two kids on a road trip from Texas to Alaska, which is cool. What a great awesome mom. Ro- I know. Yes. Um, and they pulled over at the hot springs to have a break, like I guess rest stop, whatever. Uh-huh. Patty and her 13 year old son, Kelly, went to explore a less crowded pool, like up this walkway uh-huh. and stuff. They get up there and she heard some rustling in the underbrush and she turns around and staring her down is a large black bear. She isn't evil, even able to yell for her son, Kelly. Oh, my God. And the bear starts to maul her. Kelly rushes over to his mother's aid, starts kicking it in the face, trying to beat it with a tree branch. The bear claws him across the neck, lifts (gasps) him up into the air by his waist, and tosses him aside like a freaking ragdoll. 
Oh, my God. Uh, Ray Kitchen was a bystander. He heard the commotion and screaming, rushed to the scene and tried to beat the bear away from Patty and Kelly. The bear ends up hitting Ray Uh so hard they tumble down together through a railing and down a hillside. (gasps) Uh, The bear ends up ripping at Ray's neck and Ray dies from his injuries. Oh, my God. And he was just trying to save just Thanks trying to help. Them. How brave, though. I mean, right? seriously, oh, not too many real. people would run after a huge bear mauling mm-hmm. somebody. They would yeah. run away from that. Oh, for sure. But to run towards it. I mean, that's like a straight. That's a hero. That's right some there. hero action. Yes. Um, there was another man who tried to help. He was not named in the article. He he ends up getting critically wounded, but survives. Then two yeah. other people came by. I guess they had rifles and they killed the bear. Um, sadly, Patty passed away from her wounds, but her son, Kelly, survived both Kelly and and Ray Kitchen posthumously uh, received medals from the Canadian government for bravery. So Kelly survives. Ray, unfortunately, didn't. But they did both get medals for oh their bravery. God. Yeah. Imagine you just stop at a rest stop and it's like, you're just, you know, you're going to take your family. To, I mean, she's... Th- to get to the pool that they went to, they went on like a boardwalk and it had stairs. And sometimes I think when you're in nature and there's something man-made in nature, it makes you feel more safe somehow. Yes. Like, oh, there's, you know, this is civilization. We have stairs mm-hmm. here. But in actuality, no. You're in Bear Town. You're in Bear Town. And Not honest- Cougar Town. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's good. <laughs> and I think the last story that I'm going to tell you about is like an extension extended version of that believing that you're safe inside your own home jen oh my gosh and you are not okay yeah so this last story is the story i'd like to tell for today it is the san kebetsu brown bear attacks of 1915 1915 i know we're taking it back taking it back this is like the shark episode it is a little yeah it's around that time we're gonna talk about these bears that are called the usuri japanese brown bears okay they're Ursus Arctus Lassiotus is their scientific name. I feel like they would be small. You would think that. They're actually larger than grizzly bears. You are lying to me right now. I am not, not true. Are they still around? They're still around. In Japan. In Japan. They are only found in Hokkaido. That's what we're going to talk about today. What? So they're similar to the grizzly. Generally, they're darker in color and more elongated skull and a less elevated forehead. So like, I guess more pointy face, maybe. (laughs) Um, More cone shaped. Yeah. Males can be up to twice the size of females ranging in weight from around 200 to 600 kilograms or up to 1300 pounds. Ginormous. I can't remember how big we said grizzlies were. I feel like we said 800 pounds. I feel like that was the the larger side. They're like twice twice the size. The size of a grizzly? They're very large bears. Can you tell me again what it's called? Usuri. U-S-S-U-R-I. Usuri. I just want to see the picture. It just looks like a real- Oh my God, no, they- Scary ass brown bear. This one looks real scary. I think it's the fit that the face is more pointy, honestly. Like they have less of a square face, you know? But yeah, it's like their eyes are a little bit smaller, like more beady. beady. Yeah, Yeah. and longer noses. But they're still like big. Still big. They still have that fat hump on their back. You know, I'm not going to go back over all the information we talked about with grizzlies or like brown bears, but I'm going to give you some differences for these bears. Yeah, because... For Japan, because I always think um, any island, I mean, I know it's a mm-hmm. big island, but yeah, you know, yeah. but I still. always think when you get to islands that things mm-hmm. are smaller. 
Well, I think that's the biogeography theory, right? Right. Is that they yeah. do get smaller, like more specialized. So I wasn't and- expecting that they would be two times the size, more than twice the size of a male grizzly. And they're only found in Hokkaido, which is like the northernmost island of Japan. It's like smaller. And there's a lot of black bears found in the rest of Japan, like on the lower islands, but just these I big I love that ass- you're taking us back to Japan. First cats, now bears. <sighs> alligators that went well that wasn't japan that was japanese (laughs) japanese invasion but colonizers all right (laughs) (laughs) these brown bears hibernate like any other brown bear Uh, they are solitary except during mating and when they have cubs cubs are born in the winter den and will remain with the mother for two to three years during which time she will not become pregnant again um until they leave and then right i don't think she screams like the cougars but she just puts on some jazzy music that's right did we talk about this that brown bear (laughs) ladies go out and go to the bars is that (laughs) No, we talked about the seals. That was the hard seal. Oh, seals. seals. That's we're getting, right. That's we're getting right. all our animals oh, mixed God. up. Anthropomorphizing animals is uh, it's hard to remember. All right. So they're found in parts of Northeast China, parts of Russia, and five isolated regional populations on Hokkaido, Japan. There were all these like listed places they're found in Russia and all these like, you know, special places in Northeast China. I'm just going to put a map to where those places are. And then you guys can see there is some thought that the bears found on Hokkaido and a couple other populations in Russia are a separate subspecies. But I don't think they've genetically proved that yet. Uh, They like to live in forests, mountainous regions and coastal areas. Uh, right now, they're classified as least concern, LC, as we've all we've learned so many episodes, we talk about this. They're extant. They're extant in the world. But like so many other animals in the world, most, if not all of the Usuri subspecies seem vulnerable and uh, in decline. So there's a small population, randomly, there's a small population in North Korea. They're actually listed as a national monument and protected there. And I was like, how do we know that's true? I mean... I have so many thoughts right now. I know. I was like, but what? Is that like a thing that I didn't even know North Korea did that kind of stuff? Like, oh, all right. Okay. There you go, North Korea. Wow. Good on you. Never thought... <laughs> But whether it's true or not. Right? We don't know. We don't know. On Hokkaido, the small western Ishikari subpopulation is listed as endangered in Japan's red data book. So I guess there's like so a sub subpopulation. Okay. Yeah, locally endangered. And in 2015, the Hokkaido local government estimated the total population on the island at 10,600 bears. Well, that's not bad. Yeah, so I think that's why they're least concerned. They are assumed to live around 20 to 30 years. Their diet is omnivorous, also opportunistic in some cases, so they'll they'll eat anything, basically. Yeah, humans. Whatever. Carrion. They will attack Asiatic black bears, but there are no fatalities that have been recorded. Asiatic black bears? Those are those smaller bears that are found on other islands in Japan. Uh, Moon bears get attacked by these brown bears because they're just jerks. That's just mean. It is mean. Just leave the moon bears. It's called a moon bear for God's sake. (laughs) Just leave it alone. The Usuri are prey to the Siberian tigers. No. Yes. Jesus. Which now I'm like, well, shit, we got to do a story on them because- This is very like Godzilla versus King Kong. 100%. I feel like the Japanese just, they just, that's where it came from. Right. They just have giant predators. So according to research by institutions such as Hokkaido University and the Research Institute for Humanity and Nature, which is RIN, R-I-H-N, there is evidence that the Hokkaido Usuri are actually moving toward a more herbivore diet. Oh. Well, I find it really interesting actually that they have moved toward- this more herba- her her herbivorous herbivorous oh god god i said it herb <laughs> look who's uh i, I look know who's on top of things today <laughs> oh, 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 oh. <laughs> 
think it's kind of interesting because they are these huge brown bears. You would think they would need more protein, like more, you know. Yeah. Blood. Bloody like stuff. Like all the blood, yeah. all the gore. What's happened is that there, there's been like a lot of damming of rivers and construction. What's the word I'm looking for? Infrastructure that's being put up yes. in their habitats. And mm-hmm. it's causing them like either the salmon don't run mm-hmm. enough for the bears to be able to st- sustain themselves off of the salmon. So they have to look elsewhere for they food. They have to look elsewhere. Yeah. Yeah. So, so their diet is kind of evolving or they're adapting to. Because of all these changes that people yeah. are bringing into they're their like, world. fine. Kind of an interesting thing that one of the scientists said, Matsu Bayashi, he said brown bears weren't very good at hunting agile deer so they would often take them from wolves or pick through leftover carcasses now that wolves are extinct the bears are at this point where they will occasionally only occasionally eat deer Oh, the wolves are extinct there. There were hunts for the wolves in Hokkaido, and they were hunted into extinction. When was that? Like a long ass time ago? Like I forget in- the period of time they said it was, but yeah, it was a long ass time ago, like in the 1800s. That's a bummer. The population of brown pears has not declined, interestingly enough, and their ability to breed seems unaffected by the switch to this more um, herby diet. Herby? Herbivorous. Herby. Jesus Christ. Herbivorous diet. Even though the the population level is still good. You know, we talk about ecology on this podcast sometimes. Uh-huh. <laughs> when brown bears eat salmon, the resulting leftovers, you know, like all of the crap leftover that they don't eat or their poops, yes. all their feces fertilize the land. And the brown bears were filling this role of transferring nutrients from ocean to land. And now that they're not doing that, Mm-hmm. They're not eating the salmon is going to cause uh, issues in the ecosystem. If you look at like a food web and they yeah. they just took the food web and like fucked it up a little. The waste from salmon or that kind of food going mm-hmm. into the ground would grow different things than waste from eating a different diet. Exactly. And which would feed other little critters. Differently. Right. Differently. It's all these things all put together. Connectivity. We're all connected, Jen. We are. In this world we call home. <laughs> <laughs> are. There are some threats to the Usuri, including legal hunting in Russia and Japan, and then also poaching across their entire range, China, Japan, places where it's not legal to hunt them. The illegal body parts trade. We talked about that a little bit when we talked about elephants, all the different parts that people Yeah. There are some issues related to bear baiting, which I'm not entirely sure what bear baiting is. I think it is like when you're trying to catch a bear Mm -hmm. and you bait the trap with either other bears or other animals. I'm not, I didn't really look that up because I was like, whatever, I got this story to tell. So go look it up, bear baiting. Is it like when you, what's it called when you try to get sharks to come? Like chumming the waters? Chumming the waters, yeah. Yeah, yeah. But like chumming the land. Loss of habitat is a threat, of course, always. And then the big one, in this case, human conflict, particularly in Hokkaido, Japan. Uh Uh-oh. There have been 86 Usuri attacks recorded on Hokkaido since 1962, including 33 fatalities. This is not including the story I'm about to tell. It's not a lot, but it's a lot. The Senkebetsu brown bear incident, also referred to as the Roku Sensawa bear attack or the Tomame brown bear incident, was the worst bear attack in Japanese history. And it was in Roku Sensawa Senkebetsu Tomame Rumoi Hokkaido, Japan. I'm impressed. 
It's really hard to say. That's one location. Okay. When we're saying it's a lot for the last 60 years, because it's in one location. It's in one location. Yeah. And so this particular place that we're talking about, which I'm just going to refer to as San San Kebetsu from now on, is like a village in Hokkaido. Okay. I guess it's Sensawa is the village, but San Kebetsu is the area. Anyway, so this attack took place over one week in December of 1915, from December 9th through the 14th. There were meticulous records kept in that time. So we actually know a lot of information from this story because Japanese, they were at the time, they're kind of homesteading that area. So there was a lot of observations and records and information kept. So at dawn, mid-November 1915, an Ursuri brown bear appeared at the Akita family house in Senkebetsu, about 11 kilometers inland from the west coast of Hokkaido. So the bear is like really hungry and agitated. This is November. Mm-hmm. So it should be hibernating already because it's like snowy and shit. It's like right, winter right, right. in Japan. It had woken up from hibernation, something um, the Japanese refer to this as motatsu. It's loosely translated to the animal which doesn't possess a hole. It means like they failed in their hi- hibernation. Oh, okay. So they just didn't have a good spot and couldn't yeah. fully. When I first read it, I was like, doesn't have a hole. Like, <laughs> weird. Uh, but yeah, so this particular brown bear, I guess, woke up early or didn't hibernate or something, was really hungry. So I don't know if you remember when we talked about Timothy Treadwell that those bears that didn't hibernate or they like hibernated later in the season, they were like way more aggressive because they're yeah. really hungry. They just didn't get enough yeah. food storage to do to, the hibernation. To start hibernating, yeah. Yeah, so they're having a hard time. This Usuri comes to the doorstep of the Aikita family home. Like I said, these were like Japanese homesteaders. Animal encounters were not uncommon. Like they're pretty used to it. Right. So they were like, oh, there's a bear. I mean, they, they were still freaked out but right the bear takes some corn of theirs and then pieces out november 20th the bear is back the aikida family father is not super happy about this and he was really worried about his livestock especially he had a horse okay and so he's like fuck i don't want this horse because the horse is getting real agitated it's a bear like they're yeah. you know could get mauled yeah uh, Aikida asked his second son and some additional friends from a close by village for help. So November 30th, they find and shoot the bear, but it's only wounded and it runs away. Mm. And they follow the injured bear, the blood trail to Mount Onishika. They never catch it. They run into a snowstorm and they had to turn around. And they also thought, okay, we scared the bear off. We wounded it. We shot it. It ran away. It's not mm-hmm. going to come back. It's all good. But they were very wrong. But it just got more angry. It also knows that there's like a ton of food. So December 9th, it's the morning at the Ota family home. Inside, there's Abe Mayu. She's the wife uh, in the family. She was babysitting Hasumi Mikio, who's not her child, just someone else's child. And I don't really know exactly how this happened. They don't describe how this happened. But somehow this bear breaks into the house like rolls up into the house but is this like do they have those little like paper doors but no the houses are made of kind it's they're made of wood and they're made of kind of like this bamboo ish reed i don't know if it's woven together or what i have some pictures of like recreations of the homes and they look i mean it's not like super sturdy abe uh, has this baby hasumi mikio and she's making breakfast they're just going about their day the bear breaks into the house it attacks the baby immediately (gasps) and kills the baby. 
Yeah. By the way, this story is a real downer. So the baby dies. Mayu tries throwing firewood at it. She tried fighting back, uh, but the bear was able to get her and Mm -hmm. ends up dragging her out into the forest. Uh, The people who found the scene said it looked like a slaughterhouse, just like blood pulled on the floor and just carnage everywhere. Horrific. There is a search party immediately formed of about 30 men, and they go out to find the bear, and they find it about 150 meters into the forest, and five Five of the men shoot at it, but only one bullet hits and wounds the bear, uh, and it escapes again. I think this is so huge. Like, their bullets just aren't doing the thing. They're not doing the trick. That same morning, December 9th, earlier in the morning, Saito Ishiguro and Miyoke uh, Yasutaro leave their village, that same village, to, quote, run errands. Like, that's what it says. I'm like, what errands are you? Anyway, I don't know. They went somewhere. I don't think they went together. They just happened to be going. They had a nail appointment. Leaving the village. They had a nail appointment. (laughs) So that's just something to keep in your mind. Okay. That these two men of the families, uh, Saito and Miyuke, leave the village. So their wives and children are home alone. Right after this happened? This is before. So they actually left early, early in the morning. Oh, okay. Mm -hmm. Sorry. So they don't know that this happened. Oh, geez. So the search party of 30 guys, uh, they track the dried blood from the house. And it's the blood of Mayu that the bear had dragged Mm -hmm. into the, the forest. And they find it ends at the base of this like fir tree. And they dig down into the snow and the bear has buried parts of Mayu there. (gasps) So it's recorded that they only found her head and parts of her legs. And it seemed like the bear was actually stashing those parts for later. Oh my God. Like to come back. Everyone is like, definitely the bear is going to come back because it stashed these body parts and they think that it's going to come back to the Ota home Mm -hmm. where where Mayu was. And now it knows that's a place it can find food. A lot of villagers come to the Ota house and they are accompanied by 50 guards I think that's in addition to the 30 from the search party, and they wait for the bear to return. And so there's they, 80 guards. There's 80 dudes with guns. Just waiting. Just waiting for this bear, and they actually split the party up, and they have some people at the Ota home, mm-hmm. and then they have some people at the next door neighbor's home, the Miyuke family, which right. remember, dad is off running they went errands to do stuff. someplace else. Yeah. yeah. Around 8 p.m., the bear shows up in the yard of the Ota family. One guy shoots it, but misses, or shoots at it, but misses. And then the guards from the neighboring Miyuke home leave the home and run over to the Ota home to help. And by the time they get there, the bear is gone. And they think the bear is headed downstream... So they start everyone, all the dudes, take off downstream. I feel like I see where this is going. Uh, Yayo is the wife of Yasutaro. He's uh, the guy, Miyuke, who had Mm -hmm. left the village to go on errands, um, who didn't know any of this was happening because it's 1915 and Mm -hmm. no one's got a cell phone. All the guards had left. They're following that bear path that they think is a bear path. And then all the people who are at the Miyuke house are unprotected. Most of them are women and children. Actually, all of them, except for one guard that was left. Somehow, this bear had actually gotten past the guards and breaks into the Miyuke house. Yayo was cooking dinner. She had her fourth son, Umekichi, mm-hmm. strapped to her back while she was making dinner, you know, like in a right, baby right, Bjorn, right. but on your back. She hears noises outside and she went to investigate and that's when the bear broke into the house. Oh my God. There was a cooking pot on the hearth. It was overturned and the flames from the fire are immediately put out. Somehow in the panic of it all, there's this oil lamp. It was knocked over and that light goes out at well. So they're all in complete darkness running around. They have no idea where the bear is. 
Yayo tries to flee, but her second son, Yujiro, he was clinging to her legs and ends up tripping her on the ground. Oh, my God. Um, the bear attacks her and bites Umekichi, the baby that's <gasps> on her back. Uh, while this is going on, there is that one guard that was left. His name is Odo. He's outside the, the house. He hears the noises and he opens the door. As soon as he opens the door, the bear releases Yayo and the baby and goes to attack him instead. And Odo, like, I guess he was trying to hide behind some furniture when he realized what was happening and the bear rips into his back. Yayo is able to escape and runs into the guards coming back from the ones who were like unsuccessful in finding the bear from the stream. Mm-hmm. They're like coming back. Mm-hmm. She sees him. She's like, holy shit, you left. And the bear came into the house. She's like, there's 80 of you. <laughs> Why did you what all 80 have to... Okay, 79. Right? Because one guy's with One him. guy. The guards are like, let's burn the house down. And Yayo yeah. is like, no. Wait, that's my house. That's one, my house. Two, there are other people in there. They could hear like children... Scream. inside the house like screaming yeah like there's oh a God. bear attack is still going on she's like please don't burn down my children so the guards decide they're going to split up into two groups one on the back end of the house one on the front end of the house the guys in the back are going to make a bunch of noise and the bear is going to run out of the front of the they're house they're going to like try to flush it out yeah okay. so they do that and the bear goes out the front but the men in the front i don't know what they were thinking or why this happened but they had bunched themselves up too close to the front. And so they didn't have clear line of sight. So there was like some issues with friendly fire and they end up, I think a couple of people get some shots off. They can't shoot at the bear because they're going to hit each other and the bear escapes again. So they make some torches and they go into the house to survey the situation. Very sadly, the bear had killed the third son of Miyuke and Yayo. His name was Kinzo. And another, the fourth son of the Saito family, the other guy who went on uh-huh. a trip, Haruyoshi, was also killed. The third son of the Saito family, Iwayo, he had been bit. Take, Saito Ishigoro's pregnant wife. So like a lot of his family, Saito's family was over at the Miyoke house. Mm-hmm. Um, she was attacked, killed and eaten. Villagers say that they could actually, this is the saddest. Anyway, the, the villagers said that when she was being attacked, they could hear her begging the bear not to touch her stomach. And actually the bear didn't hurt her stomach. And the unborn child, the fetus was actually able to be delivered. I don't, oh my God. Yeah. And survived for a few days, but it was too early and the baby passed away. Oh my god. Yeah. That's horrific. There were two children, Rikizo and Hisano Miyuke, who were attacked but lived. So those are the first two born of Yayo and her husband who was uh, gone. And then the village uh, gathered in the school and all the seriously injured people were accommodated in the Suji family house that was near the river. Okay. Miyuke-san, the husband who was out running errands, actually hears about the tragedies going on in the village after, I don't know how many days this is, like two days? Yeah, because somebody uh, had to go find him. Yeah. He immediately contacts a professional bear hunter named Yamamoto Hekichi. Yeah, and I'm it's so time. sorry. I'm probably mispronouncing all of these names. I'm trying my hardest. Uh, but when Hikichi hears about this attack, he says he knows what bear that is. Oh, yeah. He's like, he killed three women. And the bear's name is Kesagake. I knew the bear would have a name. I knew it. I knew it. Kesagake, and it means the diagonal slash from the shoulder. I don't really know. I think that's like a loose translation there. Maybe he has a slash. That's like just how they tell him from other bears. Other bears, yeah. But so he has a taste for humans. Oh, yeah. 
because he's already he's already eaten killed and eaten three women and hikichi is like number one i'm not in that business anymore and number two i traded my gun for (laughs) for alcohol (laughs) i was not expecting that hikichi was like look i'm retired i just want to be a drunk now the best is that he sold his gun for alcohol he's like i've seen some shit this is a movie megan is there a movie there is a movie i'm gonna talk about it okay Okay. so december 11th miyoke yasutaro and saito ishigoro they return back to sen kibetsu and no attacks happen on this night on the 11th so they come back uh saito's wife unborn baby Mm -hmm. two of his kids are dead miyuke uh, his wife is injured. His baby, who's on her back, is injured. Just a lot of things. His two kids, I think he had two kids that died or one that died in the attack. Yeah. It's just like... Yeah, real bad. Shit. Yeah. Don't run errands in 1915 because it takes you a For while. real to get back. Yeah. Or even hear about it. On December 12th, the news from Senkibetsu gets, uh, gets to the Hokkaido government office and the Hoboro police, which I guess is uh, maybe like a police unit in somewhere in Hokkaido. I don't know. They put together a sniper team. I just tried to picture snipers in 1915, but I mean, I guess so. I have know nothing about I think guns. it would depend on the like, yeah, the technology of the guns. Yeah. Um. So guns and volunteers for the team were gathered from nearby towns. How many? How many are we talking now, <laughs> Megan? Does it say later? Because I, it's, we're, I mean, we're in the hundreds at this point, I think. <laughs> I don't know. It's just, it's just and this, an one, this one bear who's just like a legend to all the other bears. He He's just like got his toothpick he's, that he's fashioned from part of a tree and he's just picking like hu- yeah. humans out of his teeth. <laughs> he's just, like the Terminator of bears. He's like, what are you going to do about it? I'll be back. <laughs> like, <laughs> I mean, <sighs> all these guns and volunteers are gathered from nearby towns. They get permission from the, quote, Imperial Forestry Agency. And I'm like, what are they getting permission for? To hunt the bear? Or, like, are they just getting permission for everybody to, like, all these guns to be in one place? I'm confused about what they're getting permission for. They get some kind of permission from this Imperial Forestry Agency, and they go to San San Kibetsu. Maybe they just needed permission to go there. The emperor had to be like, it's cool. You guys all go. Or maybe there was some funding involved. Good call. Funding. People have to eat. Where are they going to sleep? Where are they going to eat? All the things. Yeah. And it's winter time, so it's winter time. It's yeah, extra. I mean, it takes like a lot of provisions. True. And so the emperor had to be like, okay. They were thinking the bear is going to come back to get the bodies that it hadn't fully eaten, because that's what the bear's done before, mm-hmm. right? So they decide they're going to lure the bear with one of the victims, like a corpse. And the rest oh of the village. Oh, God. Yeah. So the rest of the village was horrified, but they end up going along with it because they feel like it was the best plan. I'm making quotes, air quotes, that yeah. they had. A team of six snipers, mm-hmm. which I guess, yeah. That's how many they sent, six snipers, but they also still had, what was it, like 80 men? And then in this team of snipers, Yamamoto Hikichi joined up. So I guess they convinced him. They were like, listen, man, we really need you. They like sobered him up. They gave him some Kofifi. (laughs) (laughs) They were like, like, listen, you got to He's like that one guy in all of all the movies that are like this. He's just like real old and like just he's got like a kind of always has that five o'clock shadow. Yeah. And he's and they they found him like really drunk in a bar and they just splash some water in his face and they're like, let's go. And he's like, all right. You know, yeah, yeah, totally. So they get him a gun. They convince him to come along. So this team of six snipers are waiting inside the house. I think they're 
inside the Ota family house, which was like the first house that the bear had broken into. Mm -hmm. The bear shows up. It sniffs around the house. It like looks inside the house. The snipers are watching this bear check the inside of the house. I guess. I don't know. The the bear is like real cautious and weirded. I think the bear was like, y'all are up to something. Are you going to try and sniper me? He's like, this smells kind of fishy. The bear takes off. Pieces out back to the forest. At dawn, December 13th, a search party finds uh, that the Ota family's house had been ransacked. It's not only that house. This is the crazy part is like... They had all these snipers. They have all these men. They're all looking for the bear. The bear actually ransacks a house. It had come in and eaten the winter stockpile. And actually, it had gone through eight other houses. Okay, guys. I mean, it's not like it's not like so delicate. It's not like walking in there, like opening up a drawer with its little it's claws. It's a ginormous bear. It's making a little tea, you know. Like, like if there was a bear roaming through your neighborhood right now. Oh, everyone would know. We'd know. And we don't have snipe, eight snipers and... Right? A troop, an army of a thousand. I like it. It's like a thousand people. It was like 80, but it's close enough. I mean, <laughs> essentially, it's like a tiny ass village. How did they miss this bear? So they have these snipers and around 60 of the men go to try and track the bear in the forest in the mountains to kill it. So yeah. they leave some people behind. There's a police captain. His name is Suga. He makes an ice bridge as a line of defense and arranges snipers and guards around it, I guess on the river. I don't know. I'm like, what the hell is an make- ice bridge? It's like the Wonder Twins. I know. The <laughs> form just- of an ice bridge. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I wonder if they just like chopped off some ice and there was just like only one place you could cross. They're like, look, the I have a really good idea. They're like, that's hard. That's that's a lot of work. It seems like, why don't you just, just track the bear? No one was in those houses? I don't know what's going on. Maybe, maybe everyone we, was at the school maybe now. they're all hiding. I would be. I'd be like, I'm going to go visit my cousin in Tokyo. I'm going I'm to out. Disneyland. Tokyo. I'm going to Disneyland. <laughs> That night, they hear some movement, and Suga tries to call out to whatever it is that's moving in the darkness, and they're not sure if it's a man or a bear, Uh-oh. and they, they just end up shooting at it a bunch, oh, and, Jesus. and whatever it was runs away. And when I read that, I was like, oh my god, they just murdered like, one of their snipers. They just murdered like Hi- Hikichi. The next morning, December 14th, they find the bear's footprint and blood, um, Hikichi Yamamoto, the bear killer, and Aikida Kamejiro, who is a guide, immediately set out after the bear, just the two of them, so that they would move faster. Yeah, Because they knew a storm was approaching. Because this is how the movie goes. Yeah, Hikichi is like... Hikichi has to be the one to go one-on-one with the bear. He has to be the one. And of course there's a storm. Of oh. course. They find the bear resting near a Japanese oak. It's just chilling. And he gets within 20 meters of the bear, shoots it twice, once in the heart and once in the head. Bear is dead. That, well, in the movie, it didn't go like that. Oh, yeah. For um, sure. Yeah, guaranteed. There was a, like... an epic struggle. They measure the bear. It was 340 kilograms at 749 pounds. It's still pretty big, but not as big as it could be. Because it was hungry, damn. <laughs> Super hungry. And 2.7 meters or 8.85 feet tall. Wow. Yeah. They did a necropsy and discovered parts of his victims in the stomach. It was a male bear. At the time, they actually kept the skull and some of the fur, uh, but they, I guess those were later lost. So there are no more traces of Kesagake left. Kesagake the bear. Yayo, who received head wounds in the attack, she made a full recovery. Remember, she had the baby on her back. But her son, Umekichi, uh, was bitten by the bear while she was carrying it, died less than three years later from the wounds that he sustained being bitten by the bear. Whoa. I know. That's a long time to live with wounds. So I I don't know if it was some kind of like 
to a major organ and somehow he yeah. lived through it and then eventually just it gave out. And or it's 1915. What. Yeah. Could be anything. Odo, the one guard who got ripped in the back by the bear. Uh-huh. He actually recovered from his injury and he returned to work. But the next spring, he fell into a river and died. <laughs> like, I feel bad for that guy. Okay, I think he has a much bigger story, honestly. I think it's like he's the one guy who stayed behind to protect the women and children. Maybe someone in the thing was like, you're not cool enough to come with us. You're not like a hardcore enough guy. But he stayed and the bear came there and he like tried to save everybody. He got post-traumatic stress disorder. The bear like ripped his back open. He got really drunk and fell in the river. Yeah, I think he was dealing with some, you know, PTSD. this is just all speculation. But we, honestly, well, we love to speculate. Yes. But still, I like that. I think that he was kind of a hero. He I was. mean, if you think about it, if he had never opened that door, if he, if no man had stayed behind, all of those people would have been just murdered. Yeah. But it gave Yayo a chance to run away. And even though her child eventually did die, at least she was able to get away and like try to get help. He did the damn thing. After the attack, most of the villagers of Roku Sensawa or um, this village that they're in mm-hmm. in Sankebetsu. They soon left, and now it is a ghost town. Like, after this, they were like, really? fuck, no. So and no one lives, no one lives there since then. Holy shit. I know. Okawa Haruyoshi, uh, who was seven years old and the son of the Sankebetsu village mayor at the time of the incident, grew up to become a bear hunter. He swore an oath to kill 10 bears for every victim of the attack. By the time he reached the age of 62, he had killed 102 bears. Dude. So I think there were seven people who died. Uh-huh. Uh, so I think he reached his goal. Uh, he then retired and constructed the Bear Harm Cenotaph, a shrine where people can pray for the dead villagers. Oh, well, so that's it's a it. special like a memorial. Yeah, it's a memorial. It's uh, in Japanese. It's called Yugai Irehi. Haruyoshi was the guy that I just talked about, who is the prolific bear hunter and made the shrine. Mm -hmm. Um, His son in 1980, after an eight year chase, hunted down a 500 kilogram brown bear who was nicknamed the North Sea Taro, Hokai Taro. So 500 kilograms. What did we say that was? Like around a thousand. Right. Around a thousand pounds. Count of the attack was reprinted in 1980 and published in 1984. It's called The Devil's Valley. Dokoku no Tani, The Devil's Valley. Um, Akira Yoshimura, a Japanese novelist, gathered information about this case and wrote about it in a novel as well. Well, um, it's been dramatized into actually a bunch of different novels. There's a 1965 book, The Bear Wind. By... Wait for the movie. <laughs> I know. It's dramatized I'm sorry. into a bunch of, and I was like, <laughs> movies? <laughs> movies? I'm like, where's this movie? I got to see it. <laughs> 1977, The Bear Storm. 1980, uh, The Bear Storm again. Wait. Oh, these are plays. I'm sorry. There were plays. Novels and plays. There's a radio play called The Bear Storm, a stage performance called The Bear Storm. Uh, the Wild Legend is also a stage performance. And then the movie. Okay. What's it called? It is called, it is made in 1990. Okay. It's called Yellow Fangs. Yellow Fangs. Or Remains, colon, Beautiful Heroes. Uh, Sony Chiba is the director. Maybe if we have Japanese listeners, they might know because it seems like it was kind of a, a big movie. I watched the preview for it, Jen. Okay, it's fully in Japanese. I do not think it's subtitled in any way whatsoever. Oh, there's no subtitles at all. No. No, and no audio dub. I couldn't find the full movie to watch. Uh Uh-huh. But I did find, and I have the link for the... The trailer? The trailer. It's pretty glorious. (laughs) Like, like, like I know that this movie is meant to be kind of like a memorial to the people who died. Yeah. It's this horrific true story. Children died, women died, trying to be respectful, but this trailer is like something i've it's something 
What's it called? Yellow Fangs? Yellow Fangs. Think about the level of like graphics or special effects that people could do in 1990. I googled Yellow Gangs. (laughs) (laughs) Yellow Fangs teeth also came up. (laughs) Oh, God. It was the paper, the paper door with the arms coming through and blood splatting. The thing, too, is I can't tell if that bear they're using is real. Oh, it does look real. And there's spears. I don't see guns. It seems like they set it in a time that's 1915, but also older. I just want to say that the soundtrack on this movie is amazing. Oh, there's some headbands. Yeah. I feel like there's some mullet action. Well, I mean, it's like they still have like 80s hair, but it's 1915 Japan. There's a lot of like fans blowing hair. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I know. Oh, God, the dog. No, not the dog. <laughs> I'm never watching this movie. Oh, now it's getting sexy music. <laughs> it's like that they, is a real bear. Yeah, I think they definitely had a trained bear in there. But it's like they took the saxophone from St. Elmo's Fire, like Rob Lowe's saxophone <laughs> for, for sure. track. And, and the headband. And the headband and just put it in this movie. Yeah, and mixed it in, kind of rocked out for a little bit. I think they definitely added some dramatic flair to it. I really, really want to watch that movie. I feel like that's just some lost time right there. <laughs> but the I, the movie I envisioned in my head was mm-hmm. freaking amazing. I would want to see something very tastefully done. Yeah, this doesn't look tasteful. Oh, no. There's a lot of blood. There's a lot of blood. There's a lot of like, you know, 80s hair that you're like, they didn't know how to feather in 1915. Come on, man. They had no, no one there had, was no there was no hair dryers and hairspray back then. These are these are homesteaders. I think their costume designer failed. So I like how this turned into a full on like not even a movie review, just a trailer review. Just a trailer. And we don't know what they're saying. I have no idea. I'd have to like but ask my friend Masako, can you translate this for me? Because oh I don't know. Yeah. You need to ask Masako if, I'm she's, see if seen she's seen this it. movie. That is my story. That's amazing. Where did of you the San How did you find this one? You were you just like uh, so I found this article on the vintagenews.com. The Sankebetsu brown bear incident of 1915 was the worst bear attack in Japanese history. I think I found it when I was doing the last episode about the Japanese soldiers getting eaten by the saltwater crocs. And mm-hmm. I had looked up attack and Japanese in the same thing, but this came up as something. Love when that And I happens. was like, what is You're this? like, noted for next episode. Mm-hmm. Nice. And I was like, well, that's an interesting story. And I just kind of kept it open on the side. Who doesn't love a good subscription box? I mean, seriously, it's like getting a surprise in the mail and it's not even your birthday. What makes it even better? When that surprise box includes hand-picked sustainable plastic swaps for your eco-conscious lifestyle. Each box is specially curated for you to redesign one area of your life without plastic. With Green Up, you get an amazing sustainable box every other month. So that's six boxes per year. You can also choose the perfect box to fit your needs. Right now, they have the summer box, but you can also choose other boxes such as the clean home box, the kitchen box, the morning routine box, the workday box, and the market box for all of your shopping needs. Each of these boxes contains four to six artfully crafted, sustainable, and eco-friendly items that are curated around the theme and valued at double the box price. To sign up, go to our sponsor page at you'regonnadieoutthere.com and click the link. Go green up and reduce, reuse, and simplify. Get it, nature nerds. Okay, Jen, for our organization this week, uh, I would like you to support animalsasia.org. 
I think we do. Well, we follow them. We follow them. Yeah. If you've seen, I'm, I'm sure some of you, if you're into our podcast, you probably follow other nature things. So maybe you've seen the sponsored ad of Ricky Gervais mm-hmm. um, for this or slash. Or slash. What? Of uh, this organization. So what they are trying to do is end bear bile farming. So there are farms where they keep moon and sun bears, different kinds of bears, actually. I think, is it any kind of bear? Yeah, it seems like there are a lot. Like that seems mm-hmm. like the popular um, species. Definitely, yeah, the moon but bears. But also I think they rescue them from circuses and other, other kind of, yeah. So they are devoted to ending bear bile farming and improving the welfare of animals across Asia. So I think this is a good organization to support. Mm -hmm. And there wasn't too much in terms of these Hokkaido Usuri, Mm. uh, because they're still least concern, habitat loss, all of that stuff we talked about. But these moon bears are particularly vulnerable, and the Usuri eat them, so or fight them. At least when whenever they come into they, contact, let's just they they eat probably them. eat them. They eat them. Uh, but yeah, go out and check it out. Animalsasia.org. That's animals with an S. Asia.org. Yeah, check them on Instagram. So Jen, here we are here at we the are. part of our episode that I love so much. When we talk about what would you put in your emergency preparedness kit if you were in 1915 Japan and your house is being broken into by a 795 pound bear that's trying to murder and eat me and my entire family yeah well first of all as probably not many people know whoever listens you know we live on guam yes there's typhoons a lot so all Mm -hmm. of our houses are solid concrete solid solid yeah and we have shutters Mm -hmm. all the things so i feel like there's no bear getting into my house that's very true. Yeah. There's, they're not going to Kool-Aid man through. They cannot Kool-Aid man through <laughs> my concrete walls and storm shutters. Yeah. It's just not happening. So a solid house. We always talk about trying to create a, a, a diversion. So I feel like we should throw something at the bear to keep it away from the small children. Yes. The only thing I can think of that could possibly be something shiny that they would go after mm-hmm. might be like um, a picnic basket or something. Like Yogi Bear style? Like Yogi Bear style. A picnic basket? Here's a picnic basket. You throw it. Somehow lure them out of the house so they follow the picnic basket, like on the ice bridge. Yeah, on a fishing line. On a fishing line across the ice bridge <laughs> and put something delicious in there that's not children. A peanut butter and jelly sandwich. Something. Something. Some Cheetos. I don't know. Oh, yeah. String cheese. <laughs> String cheese. What? Honey. So I think a definitely a concrete house and a picnic basket. Picnic basket. That's all I dig I, it. That's that's yeah. what I think. I mean, because you can't, you're not fighting that thing off. No. So you just need to, you need to not let it into your house and divert it away from your house. Well, anyway, that was that was a crazy story. It's yeah, pretty. It's, it's really somber. It's very morbid. It's gory. very morbid. I also just want to. I. It's like the, I, there are so many things going through my mind when I was reading about it. When I listened to that other guy talk about it that's like learn either how to calibrate your guns or what some target practice might have helped target practice like who were these guys stormtroopers they were 100 percent stormtroopers they must have been and what kind of training was this yeah just and why would they all follow the one guy that went after the bear i mean come on keep a few more back with the women and children they're all just wanting to be the one to shoot the bear really they just needed some women warriors i think they definitely needed a little more um coordination communication Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and some target practice good story thanks for thanks for sharing and i don't think we have any shout outs this week give us a a sweet review on apple Podcasts, and we'll send a sticker your way 
way. Just make sure we know where to send it. If you want to hear some bonus episodes, yes, some stuff you can't find anywhere else, then go to our website and check out our Patreon. Yeah, be a Patreon. You get free mm-hmm. stuff there too. And discounts. I think I'm going to save the lion episode for this month's Patreon episode. Oh, you're giving a little sneak peek. A little sneak peek. That'll be sweet. Another man-eating episode. Great. Thanks to everybody out there that listened in. And until next time. Don't die out there. Bye. Bye. I'm interrupting Megan. So I... um, Two stars. (laughs) Two stars, Jen. I don't know if they're the same thing as moon bears, but I think that they are the same thing as moon bears. (laughs) Like they're called... I don't think they're the same thing as moon bears, but I think they are the same thing as moon bears. And this is the kind of quality content you've come to expect. (laughs) They, uh, yeah, kill the... uh, What did I call them again? (laughs) Usuri (laughs) They kill the um, (laughs) The thing that I'm talking about I don't even know I'm tired Brown bears in Asia (laughs) Saturday afternoon Oh my god I need a nap (laughs) I didn't have enough Kofifi this morning (laughs)